and I have another special guest that's got a great product. He wants to talk about it. He's all the way from the UK. Is that right, Richard? That's true, yep. From uh, dark, wet, wet and cold UK. Well, thank you for reaching out to us. Um, Richard, let's talk a little bit about, you saw a problem, you came up with a solution. Let's talk a little bit about your invention. How'd you come up with it? Okay, um, I came about it through the, uh, basically my son who was 17 months at the time, 17 months old, uh, would be driving along in the chart with this child car seat and halfway through the journey he would tap me on the shoulder and he got his arms out of the uh, shoulder straps and I just thought this is crazy, we've put him in tight um, and I t discussed it with my wife, we looked at it let him have a run around, put him back in his car seat. And as we closed the uh, car door, he did exactly the same thing. And I caught the design flaw in the child car seat. Okay. Um, a toddler can just push their hand underneath the five-point harness they have. Um, this is actually a recognized problem in the American market, um, whereas within the European market, it wasn't seen as an issue at all. Okay. Um, so, I mean, can you see the child car seat I yes, have here? Yes, I can. Thank you. The design flaw in all car seats, and you have them in America as well, is this harness here is tight, but there's still this big gap for a child to push their hand through. Okay. Now, in, in American car seats, you have what we call a chest clip or a chest buckle. Okay. And that would fit across the straps. Now, those are illegal in Europe. Um, so that wasn't an option for us at the time. Okay. Um, but the very simple solution is where a child pushes their hand through is you simply shield it with a piece of material. So this is the solution we came up with. <laughs> that seems fairly simple, Richard. <laughs> It is. It's extremely simple, but I hadn't realized um, what a hornet's nest it was going to uh, stir. Um, because I've actually had to spend a lot of time discussing the issue and creating a, a product category. Because not only was there no product in Europe, okay. they didn't actually recognize the issue. And because these products are all regulated and crash tested, it's important to go through the correct pro uh, processes and procedures okay. um, and get buy-in, which can take a long time. Well, how long did it take, and what did you have to do to get the buy-in? Well, um, in 2009, I approached the major car seat brands, ones in the U.S. and in Europe, okay. and said, hey, I've got a great solution. Very, very simple. It works. I've used it on my son. And none were ecstatic about it, to be quite frank, um, which I thought was a bit odd because I discovered that actually when I was asking parents at the local kindergarten, do your kids wriggle out? I knew in excess of 70% of the parents I asked, with children in the one to three year age group, 70% um, plus said that we have this issue on a daily basis. All right. um, and then came along a competition for the British Baby Products Association. They offer uh, an innovation award so I entered this award in 2010, and I got shortlisted and subsequently won their innovation award. And 
I'd recommend anybody, particularly in the baby industry, but it's probably applicable to every other industry as well, is to look for the trade association because they will have these awards and they will lead you through the hoops you need to go through. Okay. It's, it was a very useful learning curve because, to be quite frank, I had no intention of design, well, I designed a product, but I didn't intend manufacturing myself. I expected to license immediately. Okay. Um, um, but I gathered, okay, I've got to do this. So I won the Innovation Award in London at um, a big trade fair. And subsequently, I got lots of interest from all the car seat brands, which I was pleased because you know what it's like to get meetings with um, senior vice presidents of all organizations. It's extremely hard, particularly with two weeks notice. Okay. Um, but I, I had the luxury of getting all of the people I invited back onto my stand and they'd come back two or three times bringing more colleagues and everybody was extremely ecstatic about the product saying, this is a great solution. And in particular, I noted comments from senior executives from the US okay. when they said the five point plus, which is the name of the product, is a, is a better solution than the chest clip, which we have in the US. So I thought, oh, that's interesting, because I hadn't looked at the American market. Because um, they asked me, what are your plans? And I said, no, you have your solution. This is ours. This will work here. Um, and that's where I started then looking at all the options of different industries, oh, sorry, the different markets, see what my options are. Um, but I've always kept away from the Amer American market because of the fear of the product, product litigation. Well, congratulations. What a simple idea. And that's a yeah. great tip that you provided. Um, look at the trade association to see if they have any type of contest where you can apply for. And it seems like it worked for you. So who's manufacturing this for you? Are you doing it yourself or did you license it now that you got the interest? No, no. Um, I, I manufacture. In fact, I manufacture in the same plant as all the car seat manufacturers worldwide out in Thailand. <laughs> that's interesting, so. isn't it? Yeah, it is like the view I took. A, they seem to be a nice bunch of people who work at the company. Okay. Um, very competitive in terms of costs. Obviously, you need to ensure okay. there's margins for the big retailers, margins for the distributors, and importantly, margins for yourself. Well, what type of background do you have to navigate all this? Uh, not, not an unusual one. I mean, I've worked in a number of industries. I've worked in telecommunications. Okay. Uh, paper, food, and also the internet. Okay. Can so I've had a varied background. Can you hold up your package again? Can I see it? That's in a box? Yeah. Can I see it again? So there's, yeah. So designed everything. Um, very nice. So it's very simple. It's a premium value product because, again, it's important. It's not just seen as a cheap item. Very nice. Uh, so, Richard... Let's talk about manufacturing. How much money do you need to, to do this? Was it, can you do it on a shoestring budget or do you need to borrow money? How'd you do that? Um, again, I thought through, I mean, the product itself, so the viewers can see what we're talking about. It's a piece of fabric. Okay. It's actually a very high tech piece of fabric. This sits behind the child. Okay. And then you just have the wings, which Velcro around yep. car seat harness. Um, you need to look at the regulations that are required. So within Europe, we have EN71, 
which will specify the um, the safety side of the materials. Okay. So in terms of toxicity. So the key part was identifying the correct materials which would A, be suitable in the baby environment, but two, would actually offer the performance. So this is quite a, it's a, it's a fabric that's got some body to it. Okay. Um, so once I'd identified the materials I wanted, and the easiest way to do that was to actually approach people in the industry who already have experience with these materials. And so I was very fortunate that um, I was introduced to a chap called, uh, who was a late Paul Van Wetten now. He was part of the founding team of Maxi Cozy in Europe. And he loved the product and said, this is a big issue for our company. And he points me in the direction of these materials. So again, another big tip is to find somebody who's from the industry or similar and has got contacts and experience because that fast tracked me. So once I'd identified the material, I then approached the manufacturer of the material and said, who's buying this product from you in the UK? Because initially I wanted it to be British-made product. It's very, very simple. And that's how I started off to then identify manufacturers who then got the skill set to use this type of fabric. Because it's, it's a 3D uh, woven or knitted material, so it's breathable. And it's quite a complex material. So it's not a simple one. Um, so that is, again, as a tip, is find the material and then identify who's buying it and then see whether they'll work with you. So what about the money, though? Let's talk about startup. How many did you have to order? Did, was there a minimum quantity you had to order when you first started out? Yeah. yeah. Um, again, I, had some, I found some great companies that would know the story and what I'm trying to achieve because I'm not here just to sell a product. That's actually a byproduct. Um, my business is actually lobbying the authorities and the brands and then the parents to say there is an issue with all child car seats and there's a very simple solution. Um, so from a financial point of view, it wasn't a huge overhead from a manufacturing point of view because I could—I think I was ordering two, 3,000 units in one go, which is not a huge volume. Um, so that was good. And because I could manufacture in the United Kingdom, close to my home market, I didn't. I managed to have a very short lead time between paying for the product, receiving it, and then selling it into the retailers. So I was managing my cash flows from that point of view. That's one of the tricky parts, isn't it, Richard? It's the float. Um, yeah, you, you've really got to understand your, your cash flow. And again, I've got three types of customers. I'll have a big group, the big chains who have huge um, credit terms. I mean, between 90 to 120 days is not uncommon. Um, you've then got a direct working relationship or with your distributors, and there you can get a 30-day credit period, which is great. But more importantly, is also dealing direct with the consumer. And if you're using pay, PayPal or other payment gateways, you can get your money instantly. So again, it's looking for a flow of different business models there. Well, that's really interesting by doing it that way. And let's talk a little bit about the float because I don't think a lot of people understand that. You have to manufacture it and pay for that. Then you have to sell it at a wholesale price to a company that's gonna sell it to the, the public. And that could be anywhere from 60, 90 to 120 days before you get your money back. 
Yeah. So that's that that cash flow issue that a lot of people have. But it sounds like you've come around it pretty nice by selling it online too. Um, yes. Did, yeah. Was it your own money to do the float or did you get a loan from the bank or did you factor? How did you do that? Okay. Um, the, well, first of all, the biggest the biggest cost in all of this is intellectual property. And that's actually where most of the money which we'd have as a family would go in that side to protect it. From a, a working capital point of view, it was something which we could manage within the business to do this. Although it's only a a very small business, it's me. I could actually then manage the, the cash flows there. Um, so that was, a, that was a straightforward one, really. Again, because I'm an accountant by background, so I've always had, I've got to watch the cash flow. So you're comfortable with that. Good for you. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the intellectual property. Yeah. You probably have, I would probably assume, a design patent, maybe a utility patent as well. Yes, yeah. Uh, I went down both routes, but for me, depending on the market you're talking talking about, in the US, the utility patent to me is, is the very important one because designs you can get around very quickly. Whereas if I look at the Chinese market, a utility patent is actually like your design patent. So, so I focused on the equivalent of the US utility patent, um, although I've got design uh, patents as well. Okay. Um, they're not as strong from the point of view when you've got a very simple product, which is a piece of material blocking a hole. It doesn't. It wouldn't take a rocket scientist to get around that. Well, have you had any copycats and infringers at this point, Richard? Uh, not to my knowledge. Obviously, always checking. Um, but again, the, I've I've learned through the particularly particularly with this industry. The, it's quite a close-knit community. You've got a concentration of buyers. So if you take the U.S. market, you've got Walmart, Target, Bye Bye Baby, and then you've got Amazon. There's not many buyers there. So if they know of my business and they're aware of all my intellectual property protection, it's quite hard for somebody to rip it off. Yes, they can sell via eBay or Amazon, Um I'm not yet big enough yet, I think, to pick up on the Chinese threat, if they are a threat. And actually, I am, I've had a, quite a good relationship with various Chinese car seat manufacturers as well. And in fact, one joked with me when I was asking them, well, why don't you just take the idea and use it? It actually turned around, well, we'll pay you a license fee instead so we can access your awards. Nice. So, good for you. Was, well, so that was a, sort of a playing the other, playing the other way around. Well, Richard, um, where can we purchase it in the United States? You can't at the moment, um, but this is one of the plans for 2020, is to set up my company. So structurally, I'm happy from a liability point of view that I can sell a retrofit accessory um, because you have a homologated product, which, to be fair with the American, with American lawyers, they would have a field day looking to sue anybody in the food chain in the event of an accident. Um, so I've spent a lot of time flagging the issues with the chess clip because I'd actually like my product to be licensed, like I do in other markets, to be put on the seat as standard. Yes, I love selling an accessory, but to me it's more important that a parent buys a car seat that is effective. 
And I'm trying to get uh, more awareness that by having a chest lift on a car seat, it introduces new risks to a child in the event of an accident. Um, so that's the route I'm taking at the moment. And I was very pleased that in Germany, there's a big automotive safety organization that issued a report both, both on my product and also accessories like these chest clips that you find in the US and also flagging that there are issues in an accident. Um, so again, if you think of a, a 30 mile an hour collision, uh, it doesn't seem like a lot, but a child will experience up to 55 G of deceleration and having a hard object like that hit their cavity, they're going to get a lot of internal injury. So because of the liability issues, it's interesting you brought that up. Do you have product liability insurance? I'm sure you do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, okay. Again, I need to be able to sleep at night. And to me, I'd love to get into the American market. And I did spend a lot of time working on the transatlantic trade agreement, um, which was in under President Obama. Um, because again, because I've got a very interesting story with a very simple product. Uh, Europe got hold of this and said, could we use you as a case study to say how this could benefit American consumers? Because you've got obviously you've got the designs that are on standards that have uh, have to be met by brands, whereas the transatlantic trade agreement that was being discussed three years ago would allow European designs to be sold in the US and conversely American designs in Europe. Um, yeah, so it's quite it's quite a complex one for a piece of material. It's it's a very complex area. I mean, I've won German Innovation Awards as well. Uh, we licensed to a European brand, and they put it on all of their car seats. They sell around Europe and China. All right. Well, Richard, thank you very much for coming on and telling your story. I think it's a great idea, brilliant. I know there's a lot of obstacles you've overcome, so congratulations. Okay. You're, dealing, you're dealing in an area that, you're right, child safety is a big issue, but there's a lot of things you have to do correct. It looks like you're doing all those things, so congratulations. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, and I'll continue following your um, posts as well, because I always find them very interesting when you're off going around different trade shows. Thank you, Richard. Okay, well, thank you for your time, Stephen. Hey.